You're listening to audio from the 2022 Liturgy Collective Conference, a gathering for the promotion of rest, connection, and growth. For more information on upcoming conferences, visit liturgycollective.com. Thank you, Tim. Uh, I think part of what is so intriguing to me about things like this is um, I, I happen to think that I'm living proof and a fine articulation of the fact that quality control does not exist. Um, and mind you, I'm, I'm thankful for that because it allows me to uh, come and learn from all of you, and that's, that's good. Um, part of what is so interesting to me about you know getting old is a pain in the butt and uh, and when I tear up I, I used to euphemistically say it's just me getting in touch with my feminine side but my charming bride of 40 years has corrected me and has said it has nothing to do with me getting in touch with my feminine side it's just me being a lightweight uh, and I've, I've started to accept that. I'll, okay, I'll live with that. So as, as we get into this, I ask you to be with me um, because I think what I feel called to share is of value, um, hopefully to you, certainly to me. And I want you to now be thinking about your life. I want you to be thinking about what it is that fuels your behavioral choices. And as you think about that, um, if you, if I say to you, well, why didn't you go for a run? Or why didn't you do the dishes? Or why didn't you do whatever it is you said you were going to do? And you say, I just didn't feel like it. Okay? That doesn't cut it with um, a spouse, a boss. Um, it just doesn't quite cut it. But it's so interesting because we do say that. I just didn't feel like it, and so I didn't, I didn't go for the run. And so we allow our feelings to start to dictate behaviors. And ultimately, if we do that, it starts to impact our beliefs. Because you see, we've got beliefs, behaviors, feelings. If we take and look at the feelings and allow those to dictate our behaviors, then ultimately we start, it starts to erode our belief system. A very interesting uh, sort of thought around all of that um, is to then come back and say, okay, what are the critical beliefs that drive your behaviors? And I'd like to suggest that there are <clears throat> at least four critical beliefs that drive behaviors. One is the belief that you were made in the image of God. Now, this morning, as you looked at yourself in the mirror and you thought, I am made in the image of God, did you immediately start to think God has a very sick sense of humor? Um, 
I certainly think that at times, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the fact that I'm made in the image of God. Two, the second critical beliefs that gives my life value is I'm called to be in relationship with the God of the universe. I'm called to be in relationship. <laughs> you know, um, I've had opportunity to do some things in my life, as all of you have. And I can remember when the Broncos were winning their first um, Super Bowl back a few years ago, and they had a quarterback by the name of Elway. Some of you might remember that era. Um, I ended up, due to the serendipity of God, being at a PTA meeting, parent-teacher association meeting, and Elway walked in, and we started talking motorcycles. Anyhow, he asked me, he asked me to give the devotions at the Broncos for a Super Bowl. And I'm going, are you kidding me? And then my wife said, just get down off the... And, and, and I still reference that, but I don't think it compares to the fact that the Lord of the universe says, I made you, and I've called you. And third, I want to be in relationship with you. The Lord of the universe does that. And when we respond with an affirmative, yes, I want that, we're told that what? God's spirit indwells us richly. And with his spirit indwelling us richly, we become empowered, what? To be agents of God's reconciling, healing love in a hurting world. And my friends, that is sacred territory. When we start to take that alone, the world starts to change. That alone. So I want you to really think through, what are your beliefs? What are the critical beliefs that empower your behavioral choices? Because the other deal is, if we don't allow our beliefs to dictate our behavioral choices, we're left with allowing our feelings to dictate our behaviors. And then when we start to say, why didn't we do that? I just didn't feel like it. I grew up on a farm in Indiana, and we used to bale hay. And baling hay is definitely one of the most arduous tasks going. Uh, but when the hay was cut and it had been put in rows, um, you bailed it. It didn't matter if you felt like it or not. You bailed it because the rain was probably going to come, and once the, the hay got uh, wet, it'd be start to mold, and you, it, it could ruin a whole crop. And so it didn't matter if you felt like it or not. You bailed hay. And there's that sense of following through and doing that which is arduous. Why? Because the Lord of the universe has called us, has indwelt us, has empowered us, and wants us ultimately to live lives that speak and glorify him. And as you know, you well know, 
It's not convenient. There are times when you kind of think, oh no, not again. We all know that feeling. And yet, when we operate out of our feelings and allow our feelings to dictate our behaviors, ultimately we start to question our beliefs. And that is an insidious, slippery slope that we go down and we become languid in our performance. And so I want to encourage you to come back to your core belief system. What is it? Are you made, called, indwelt, and empowered? Those are the things that I would hope would be true, that you believe that. And if you do, you then start to become an agent of God's reconciling, healing love in a hurting world. Okay? That was basically point one. (laughs) Point two. You know, I don't know exactly how you see your priorities, but I'd like you to think about priorities right now in light of a bullseye. Okay? Just kind of imagine a bullseye. If I knew how to do PowerPoints on my computer, I'd have a bullseye up here. Okay? But I I don't know how to do that. So you've got a bullseye. And in the center of the bullseye, I want you to write your name and God. You and God are at the center of this bullseye. Okay? And I'm wanting you to start thinking in terms of the utilization of time and energy. And I want you to be thinking about how it is that you allocate your time and your energy. And I would like to say that the first and absolute critical priority is that you prioritize yourself in the presence of the Savior. And so I want you to start thinking about what happens if you disconnect from that energy source or what it means for you to be intimately connected to that energy source that you might be an agent of God's reconciling, healing, love in a hurting world. How are you so connected to the Lord of the universe? It starts at the very core of who you are. And so if I was working with you, one of the things I'd ask you to do is to um, keep a time block. I'd just be very fascinated to see how you utilize the 24 hours of the day and how it is that you and God do this deal called life. One of the things that I encourage people to do is to just keep track um, of their days their hours that they spend for a week. And just piece of paper, every hour for five minutes, just write down what you did the previous 55 minutes. What, write down what you did and just note if you are at all aware of God's presence during the previous 55 minutes. And at the end of the day, Start to review the day in light of God's sightings. And to what extent did you have a sense of God's unique presence? That he was living life with you and you were living life with him. That there was this sense of commingling and this sense of presence. And out of that was this sense of joy. 
So I want you to just be thinking about the bullseye, and at the center of the bullseye is you and God. And ultimately, that sense of wrestling with the question, are you stewarding the gift called you? Do you know what your gift package is all about? Do you know how it is for you to steward that gift and steward it well? Are you growing and developing and becoming the person that God has designed you to be? Do you have a sense of that, of that great pleasure that maybe he's getting watching you and you're getting walking with him? That Abba Father sort of experience? I hope so. But I would want you to start really thinking specifically about how you grow that relationship. And so you and God, center of the relationship. Then the next rung out in the bullseye is um, this thing that if you're married, we call marriage. Fundamental. Uh, to what extent do you see that as critical next step? Do you see your marriage as a covenant, not a contract? And this is really scary territory for me to think that I'm going to be talking theology to the erudite minds and folks that are here. But let me just share my concept of covenant. Covenant is a relationship that exists between two, equal, un, two unequal parties. And the question is, what is it then that makes marriage a covenant? Nancy, my charming bride, um, we've talked about this more than once. And um, covenant is just that where Nancy is so connected, it's, it's a, a relationship between two unequal parties. That's what covenant is. And so at that point, Nancy is so connected with God that she loves me unconditionally. But she and God form this inequality that makes it possible for her to love me unconditionally. And vice versa, I am so connected with God that I love her unconditionally. And in the unconditionality of that love comes this vibrant and sometimes tumultuous dance that we do. But it's a sacred dance. And it's in the context of that that I grow and that she grows and that we adventure together. By the way, uh, my definition of a good adventure is that which happens at the intersection of fear and excitement. Definition of a good adventure. Marriage definitely can be a good adventure. Okay? Getting honest with your mate, with your own fears, frustrations, and vice versa, that moves us toward intimacy, knowing and being known. And let me tell you, it's a lot easier sometimes to just turn on the news. But I think we're called into that, into that relationship. And so 
We've got our relationship with God. We've got our relationship with our spouse. And then we've got, if we have a family, if we've been blessed with kids, we've got a really wild, engaging, challenging adventure, depending on where they are in their own life cycle. And I must say, the skills that we needed when our kids were in elementary school are real different than the skills that we need as they're launching into their own careers post-college and all of that. How we handle that and how we keep pointing this family system toward the glorification of God's kingdom here on earth and we hopefully make kingdom decisions is really tricky. So we've got marriage, family, And then I'd like to suggest that we've got some intimate friends. We've got some friends that have been around for a long time. We've got some friends that have been around for a long time, and maybe we start to take them for granted. But the real interesting question is, you know, if everything turns to mud tomorrow, who's going to be there for you? And as other people have turned their lives, have uh, encountered difficulty, to what extent have you been there for them? And that, that kingdom-type friends are just rare. And in today's world, I think, at least from my perspective, they feel even more uh, elusive. And so with that, I double down to reach out and encourage to drop a, an email to... Uh, text, uh, you know, there are all sorts of ways to touch. Um, how do we do it? But it doesn't happen unless I put it on a list and make it happen. And so I try to steward time and energy in light of things like that. So that's, that's the core of what's going on for me. But you notice, I haven't mentioned the 400-pound gorilla that lurks. And the 400-pound gorilla that lurks for every one of us is a thing called work, our job. Even if we're uniquely gifted and called to that thing, it has a way of consuming our lives and dictating our priorities and keeping us totally off balance. And so I come at that and say, you know, the only way I can do that is by forming an accountability group and saying, Lord, help me. And that tosses me into my last point, and that is, how are you called to grow? How are you growing? Are you still growing and developing into the person that God's uniquely designed you to be? I think there's a hint of how we might grow that exists in Luke 2.52, where scripture tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So if you break down your life into those four quadrants, how are you growing? What are you doing that speaks of that value system? I... um, find that the physical aspect of life, growing in stature, is much more measurable 
I can get on the scale every morning. I can go to the gym. I can schedule it. That's easy in comparison to some of the other aspects of the four quadrants. I mean, the, the three that are left, the wisdom, stature, I mean, the wisdom, favor with God, favor with man, how you grow that, how you develop that, how you keep that a priority, and what you do with that is a critical discipling sort of issue. Because there's one thing that you and I can absolutely count on. There will come a time when we have an opportunity to deal with the Lord of the universe when he asks the question, what have you done with the gifts that I've given you? There's a critical stewardship accountability that's going to come. And I would like to say that I at least thought about it. I tried. I don't know how ultimately he's going to deal with that, but that motivates me to try to be the very best version of me that I can be. And so before I go to bed every night, I write in a little journal about the God sightings that took place during the day. And I review the day in light of how I utilized the hours that I was given, that ultimately I can review it with him and say, Lord, Lord, be gracious. You have always been gracious. Continue to be gracious. I love you. Thank you.